Hello and welcome to Discord, a podcast to explore the intersection between music and theatre. I'm Adam Lenson and week by week I will be trying to figure out the conundrum that is musical theatre. Welcome to episode 10. Discord. In today's episode, I examine a theatre company that uses text and music in their work, but rarely singing. It's past midnight, when, for the very last time, I ring the bell. For the sixth time today, I ring the bell, and again, no one answers. That's one of the main things we do in the company, provide equal chances for for the text and music. Normally in theatre, in Belgian, in Belgian theatre, um, the text is more important, the actor is more important than the music, the music is some something in, in the background. For us the revolution was um, in the beginning of the, of the century to put our actors behind microphones. Um, not only because they, the music can be, when, the music, when you can put the, mu- the music louder, uh, the musicians can pronounce better. Last weekend I was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, where I was lucky enough to see a show at Summerhall called Last Call by a Belgian company called Het Neustedelich. I hope my pronunciation was okay. The show combined images, text and music. In the centre of the stage was a large screen on which images and panels from an original graphic novel were projected to visually tell the story. On one side of the screen, an actress used a microphone to narrate the role of the protagonist. The actress from this position also cued the sound effects, soundscape and the video cues. On the other side of the screen, a musician used a piano and guitar, along with samples and drum loops, to accompany and underscore the piece. It was utterly spellbinding, moving, exhilarating, and difficult to describe. I would try and call it a music and text-based storytelling piece that uses representational and beautifully drawn black and white graphic images in order to tell its story. Outside, while buying the graphic novel of the show, I met the piece's director, Adrienne von Argen, I mentioned how nice it was to see a show that combined text, music and visuals so seamlessly, and he said that his company was conceived to give music and text equal theatrical weight. At this point, I knew he would be a fascinating guest for Discord. His company doesn't make musical theatre. There is no singing in the piece, but they clearly understand that the combination of music and words and acting can lead to something very powerful. The next day, I sat down with Adrian in a very windy Edinburgh beer garden, to talk about text and music and theatre. I started by asking him where it all began. Well, I didn't start in theatre. When I was 10, 11, 12, I I bought the Philips sound mixer, it was called. It was the 80s. It was a thing with uh, uh, double cassette uh, players, recorders, uh, uh, a few um, entrances for microphones and also for a guitar. Two special effects, like a little echo effect. And one of the two tape tape players you could uh, speed up a little (laughs) for a comical effect. So Adrian's creative world began with a piece of 1980s cutting-edge technology, a multi-track recorder, something that could combine and mix voice recordings and music. And in that childhood purchase lies the combination that grows to epitomise his later work. With this thing I made... uh, radio shows. Uh, that's the first thing I did. And then I wrote a lot of uh, poetry. I had a lot of uh, pop groups. And 
I organized poetry spectacles, we call it, uh, combinations of small movies that uh, told the story, uh, and in between, young poets, musicians. So live music, performance poetry, interviews, storytelling and short films, all created by Adrian as a teenager. Not only does this show a lot of young creativity, but it also shows a startling lack of bias or preference for any one genre. It's quite a melting pot of influences and styles. I didn't have any experience in theatre, not even amateur theatre or school theatre or nothing. <laughs> but, but I had a lot of experience in all the things surrounding theatre, like music, like writing, like recording. Originally, Adrian trained as a teacher, but while completing those studies, he came across a theatre directing course in Brussels that was accepting applications. Until that point, he hadn't realised you could train in any other theatrical discipline but acting. He had no experience at all in theatre, but had a lot of other creative interests and skills honed by his teenage hobbies. He applied, and much to his surprise, got in. What's already fascinating is that separate interests in music, words and technology took him towards theatre, rather than theatre taking him towards those interests. But what difference does the order make? In fact, it seems to me that growing up with many distinct disciplines and interests perhaps is what leads to the current multidisciplinary nature of his work. And that's the things I, I, I took into the, the education I got there. And there are still the things that I work with, uh, although I use actors now uh, also. I asked if he could try and define his company's work for me. We specialize in uh, combining words and music. Uh, text and music with the actor as the glue between the music and the words uh, and sometimes there's a little singing but it's not what we do what we do is uh, talk to the music the piece I watched has music all the way through it that music morphs shifts and bends as the story does alongside this music is the narrative text spoken by the actor I asked Adrian what he thinks the music and the text do to one another. Music is more uh, form and text is more about content. But if you combine the two, uh, you can use text. Um, you can use text in a musical way. You can use text uh, not uh, psychologically, psychologically approached by content, but uh, musically rhythmically approached. This description of music as form and text as content is very interesting to me, and perhaps illustrates why they go so well together. Music can be the mode of transmission for the text, but also the text and the narrative can shape and inform the music. If you put text on it, the music will get infected by the text and will try to mean something, it will begin to mean something. And that's a very interesting uh, thing to, to examine. I suggest also, aside from the information conveyed by the music and the text, that there is new information created by the interference between the two. Instead of one and one, it is one plus one equals three. To us it feels, um, within the company I mean, it feels very natural to do it. But it's also because we have great musicians in the first place, also great actors. I think it's important when combining music and words that it does feel natural. And I think this comes from ensuring that the words and music, the actors and the musicians, are of equally high quality and are given equal weight in the collaborative process. 
I, I, I see other attempts from other companies to do kind of the same thing um, and not getting the same result. And that's thanks to uh, the people we work with uh, and that we choose very carefully. But I suggest to Adrian that it is not just the quality of the collaborators and the mutual respect they have for each other's disciplines, but also something fundamental about how the work is created. I ask him to walk me through the process of creating their current show, Last Call. We first made a voice recording. There are a few other versions of the same text uh, uh, before we got to the comic book version. Um, so Sarah, the actress, already knew the text very well. Um, the text was inside of her. So the story is conceived first, then the text is written out, and it is studied, rehearsed and learnt by the actress Sara Vertonghen. Sara's performance is then recorded in order for it to be interpreted by both the composer and the graphic artist. And it was a good plan from Joris to um, make to record Sara first. Joris Kaluartz is the composer and instrumental performer in Last Call. Because um, by the way she said stuff, um, he, he could sometimes base himself on that. So they, 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 he played music while um, he, he played the, the recorded voice on his uh, stereo. Um, and sometimes when you will hear the CD with, uh, with the accordion on it, sometimes the, the accordion takes some of the, the melody uh, that's the melody of Sarah's voice. So not only is the music responding to the words that are written, but also the way it's performed and acted. So the subtext and emotional content of the text and the story, as well as the natural speech rhythms of the performer, are all being responded to and encoded within the music. We do a lot with, with the, the rhythm of talking and... Um, but um, there's also melody in voices, also in speaking voices, and that's a very interesting thing to examine. In Het Neustedelijk's work, the content definitely dictates their unique form. The content comes first, the narrative, the story, and from that text comes the music and visuals, which are then integrated and inspired by that original content. It's very different from, say, drawing something pretty or writing a nice piece of music, and then trying to retrofit them onto a story. As with all good things, it seems, the story comes first, and the reason for telling that story is what makes the theatre. What we ask uh, from our musicians in the first place is uh, to be an artist, uh, not to think, oh, I'm working for a theatre production now, so I have to do what other people say or uh, adapt to what I think that theatre might be. Uh, no, they should just make the music that they think they should make based on what they uh, thought and felt when they read the story. I think this is wonderful. Too often in music theatre, I think people write what they think they should rather than what they want. They stop feeling like fully-fledged artists and become hemmed in by the complexity of the form. Artists should make the work that is of the highest quality and passion and if it all comes honestly, and from the central story that is being told, then I believe it should all fit. The story is the first thing with us. Um, it's content above everything. Um, and that's a bit strange because 
um, especially with Last Call, I talk about the form constantly because it's very difficult to explain. It's a long story, but it's also a fascinating story to lots of people. Um, but in the end, it's all about the content. And the show's form is complicated and difficult to describe. It's a deconstructed graphic novel with live text performance and live music. But you aren't thinking about that form when you watch it. You're thinking about the character and her story. You're feeling lost, sad, elated, confused, scared and exhilarated along with her. And the strength of those feelings as an audience member are due to the skill of the form. But ultimately, that form would be nothing without the content. And I think this is true of musical theatre. However complex the form, you shouldn't be noticing it. It shouldn't be jolting you and confusing you. It should be enhancing the content. It should make you experience and feel the content more. In the end, it's all about the content. It's all about the story of that girl running away from home uh, and experiencing stuff and looking for a place in, in the world, a place in the sun and not finding it. Uh, it's a, it's a, a story of identity like most stories in theatre. started out with Oedipus in, uh, you know, years before Christ. <laughs> what he's saying is clear. Good stories have been around for a long time. Modern methods of telling them have been around for less time. So the methods shouldn't ruin the stories. They should make them better. Adrian also goes on to suggest that the advantage of music and text is that they don't always have to line up. They can contradict one another. They can be in tension with one another. The last uh, uh, song, I would call it, in, in Last Call, the music there is very... It's, it, Yoris spells a very tender, almost sweet melody. What, what is happening is not really that sweet and tender. It's, uh, it's more like murder huh? that is happening there. Uh, it's a really bloody scene, but the music is really... It's like the little bird you hear in the end a couple of times. Um, also very innocent and life goes on. And, and I think that's that's another part of the examination. Some, sometimes it's good to when it's dramatic to make the music dramatic. Uh, sometimes it's uh, good when it's dramatic to make the music um, warm and uh, like a blanket. Uh, and sometimes uh, it will be comforting, and sometimes it will be make it a bit per- perverse <laughs> because of that. I go on to suggest that musical theatre, like the form that Adrian uses, is an intrinsically non-naturalistic one, and that perhaps it fits oddly within British theatre, which has taken longer to depart its traditional naturalistic background than lots of continental Europe, where German and Belgian theatre makers are known for bold reinventions of the form, I think British theatre makers are still somewhat anchored to naturalism, and singing, live music and musical underscoring are still not seen as normal and everyday part of theatre form in Britain. I think that has to do with uh, suffering from uh, tradition. Uh, you have like Shakespeare here. We don't have Shakespeare in Belgium. <laughs> and uh, uh, at this point in, in, in history, it's, uh, it's good for us that we don't have Shakespeare because we, uh, we are quite in- inventive because of that. We don't have any traditions to, to fight with. Uh, and uh, it's the other way around in cooking, for example. Belgium has a great cooking tradition, uh, very close to the French cooking tradition. Um, but all the, the 
star chefs are from England and even from the Netherlands nowadays. <laughs> and I think it's the same thing, no tradition in cooking. Um, so more inventiveness. And combining music and theatre into a well-integrated and fluid form is something that requires inventiveness and craft and skill. And perhaps an over-reliance on theatre tradition is exactly what's stopping people from exercising those muscles and being inventive. I go on to ask him about musical theatre. And one of his initial reflections about musical theatre is, it often seems quite fake. And of course it is fake. Theatre is, by its very nature, a constructed reality. People rarely burst into song in real life. But it's not just the theatricality or the form that he thinks make musical theatre often seem fake in some way. I ask him to explain why he thinks this is so, and his answer takes me through the reasons we create theatre, the stories we tell using theatre, and how we best tell them. We have this little um, model that we use to, 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 uh, um, to think about what we do in, in, in our theatre. And also, to when 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 the show goes wrong, to prevent it from going wrong, something to fall back on. Uh, it's 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 based on um, um, Lise Lecomte. Elizabeth Lecomte is the founder and director of the Worcester Group, an experimental American theatre company founded in 1975 that used text, movement, music, video, and narrative, along with a host of other elements in order to create highly innovative and integrated theatre. It is extremely formally bold and inventive. And once she said, she, she got the question, what's theatre for you? Very good question. <laughs> and she said to me, um, and I will make it into a triangle, to me, um, uh, theatre is one-third of uh, autobiography, one-third of chronic, and one-third of form. Autobiography is clear, form is clear. With chronic, chronique, she means um, the artists um, taking position against um, uh, society and history. So, Lecomte suggests that theatre should have three different points. A triangle comprised of form, autobiography and chronic. The definition of chronic is long-term. And by this, she means long-term concerns, history, politics, philosophy, society. Chronic can refer to a country or society or the world or even the universe and time and space. So, Liz Lecomte's triangle contains form, autobiography, which is about the individual, and the chronic, which is about the society or the world or the universe. Individual, the world, uh, the form. Um, and what Lise Comte says is, um, as an artist, you should try and stand in the middle. Because uh, it's like a tension field. All, all those different things, they pull at each other. You should try to be in the middle of the tension field. This all seems like a very good idea to me, because if a piece is just form, it can feel disconnected from any reality. But if a piece is all autobiography, it can feel too zoomed in. And if a piece is all society and the world, it can feel overly like a lecture. Good theatre 
has to be in the middle of all of these things. Um, like a good example from uh, the, the model being in balance is like Woody Allen. Um, is uh, it's very autobiographical. Eh? The stories of a, uh, a Jew living in <laughs> a Jew that needs a lot of uh, psychotherapy and. Uh, um, the chronique with Woody Allen, it's not really about, most of the time, it's not about politics or society, but if you would just put all the early uh, Woody Allen movies behind each other, you get a, an amazing view on the Manhattan of the 70s and the 80s. And, uh, and he is very good in the form. Uh, he's, he's interested in uh, the great 19th century writers like Chekhov. Uh, he's also aware of um, uh, Bertolt Brecht and what he meant to uh, theater and put it uh, transpose it to to movies. Like um, uh, sometimes he's, he's he's playing a scene, then he directs to the camera. <laughs> That's very Bertolt Brecht uh, uh, and very close to what we do in com contemporary theater, uh, showing that it's just an illusion. So Woody Allen's work is very much in balance with Elizabeth Lecomte's model. It is personal and autobiographical. It also chronicles a time period and a location with great acuity. And finally, it plays with form, it plays with the fiction of the medium and with its engagement with an audience. All three criteria are in balance in the work of Woody Allen. The main thing is um, uh, keeping the balance. If you go too much into autobiography, it gets um, uh, sentimental for example, or uh, um, selfish. If you go too far in chronique, it can get, it, it can become a pamphlet. It, it can become the, the point, the finger pointing at you. And that's also not uh, uh, the way to go. If you go too far in form, um, uh, it can get hermetic. People not getting in your work. So, having analyzed this model of Elizabeth Lecomte and explaining that it is at the centre of his company's work, he then comes to why he thinks musical theatre is in some way fake or fraudulent at times. That to come to uh, musical, uh, lots of musicals are also just form. Because they forgot about uh, someone that has to, that wants the main thing uh, Autobiography is someone that wants to tell something to the world. Musical theatre is extremely formally ambitious. It is far from naturalism or the everyday. So in order for musicals to remain balanced artistically on this triangular model, they have to be just as ambitious at telling deep and meaningful stories about the individual and the world. And Adrian suggests that they don't always do that. And so they often end up feeling fake. And I think he has a point. The best musicals, I believe, do balance the triangle. Assassins by Stephen Sondheim and John Weidman. West Side Story by Leonard Bernstein, Stephen Sondheim and Arthur Lawrence. Porgy and Bess by Ira and George Gershwin and Dorothy Haywood. However, all too often, musicals don't balance the triangle. They are all form and very little substance. Form without autobiography and without the chronic. For a form as inventive as musical theatre, they often don't have enough to say. And I think it's important when making new musical theatre or music theatre 
that we look at this triangle and ensure that we're at least attempting to make pieces where those points are in balance. You, you don't know who's singing and, and, and why and what it has to do with the world. It's just form, it's just plastic. Adrian suggests that theatre makers should start by looking at the autobiographical and the chronic and work between the two of them and then see how that content pulls towards the correct amount of form and the correct type of form rather than just starting at form and say saying you're going to make a musical and then trying to figure out how the content fits into that form if the content doesn't deserve to exist within that form some stories aren't meant to be musicals and don't deserve the scale of that form i go on to ask adrian how he looks to find truth in the work his company does i suggest that his methods of using a flat screen black and white rendered images microphones visible laptops with soundscape on and cables live music is fundamentally fake we see how everything is done isn't that truthful on its own <laughs> showing what you're doing no there's not too many tricks involved all the tricks we that are involved we show and I think he's right. It's good to avoid tricks and show exactly what you're doing because if you do that, then your work is likely to be more honest and more able to connect with an audience and show them your version of truth. He also says that truth is found through collaboration and that collaboration also makes a piece of work better if it's done right. Um, hopefully when, when, you, when you're done writing, the, the, the other people in your team understand what it's about and uh, uh, make it even more beautiful. My colleague uh, always says that, uh, that um, people often ask him when he premiered, uh, and is it, uh, did it become what you thought it was going to become? And the answer of course is no, it became better. <laughs> and it should always be better. Um, because you, you, you never count on what Actors and musicians and uh, the technicians uh, do it. Do it. Your produce, <laughs> uh, and if you chose the, the right persons, they they make it uh, a lot stronger than it uh, started out. And that's why I like the combination of music and theater and other elements, because when these all work together, they enhance a story. And when a group of collaborators are all working together towards the same goal, that piece gets immeasurably better because of that collaboration. Adrian told me that he had recently started calling himself not a theatre director or theatre maker, but a multimedia artist. He said this with a smile on his face, but went on to tell me that he got the idea from watching a video interview with Laurie Anderson. Laurie Anderson was asked... Um what would you? What, what's your advice? What's your advice to the young, to the next generation? And she said, "What always has worked for me is to call myself a multimedia artist, because it's a meaningless term. It doesn't mean anything. You're free to do whatever you want because it's multimedia. You can use video. You can use voices. You can use music. You can use theater. Uh, and Laurie Anderson did all of that. Laurie Anderson was born in America in 1947." And her career has included music performance, composition, theatre, film, dance, visual art, 
poetry and many more disciplines. Uh, what I recognize when I try to explain my work, it's so tiring, so difficult to explain because there's so much going on, but at the end, if you just come and watch it, uh, it will speak for itself, uh, believe me. What's great about the term multimedia artist is that, like Adrian, it defies categorization. It defies usual boundaries of what is theatre, what is music, what is performance. And it allows all of those things to blur based on stories and content, which, in his work, has found the correct form for them. The work has an unbiased approach. It takes whatever it needs without prejudice. There are no boxes and no boundaries, no snobbery and no pretensions. What Lorianson tried to say was, you should be free. Uh, and you should be free to follow your own instincts in what you're trying to say and in the manners you're trying to say it. Uh, um, be loose, she says in the interview. So what have I learned from today's episode? Firstly, that there is new information made by the interference and interaction of text and music. Adrian says that music can be seen as form and text as content, and thus the two are able to complement each other extremely well. Secondly, if given equal care and time in a theatrical process, then text and music can coexist very naturally. All of the collaborators should be working towards the same content, but also they should all be artists in their own right, never writing or creating what they think they should be, only to fit into a theatre. Thirdly, that even in Adrian's complex and formally inventive work, the content comes first, the story, the narrative, the character, and that is how it becomes natural, seamless, and truthful. And no matter what the form is, we should always aspire for the content to come first. Four, that perhaps British theatre and its ability to innovate is being held back by our reliance on our esteemed theatrical tradition and on Shakespeare, and I also wonder if the tradition of musical theatre is also holding us back and stopping us being innovative. Fifth, as Liz Lecomte of the Worcester Group says, we should make sure that our theatre stands in the middle of a triangle made up of form, the autobiographical and the chronic. If we stand in the middle as an artist, then our work will have a balance between the intimate and the expansive and its form will match its content. Musical theatre perhaps doesn't stand in the middle of this triangle nearly enough and should look to tell stories that match this unique form. Finally, the term multimedia defies boundaries. If we call ourselves multimedia artists, then no one can tell us what not to do and we can include anything and everything. I've said in previous episodes that musical theatre feels like it's trapped in a hermetically sealed bubble away from the rest of theatre. And I think Adrian's idea of calling oneself a multimedia artist is useful because it defies categorization. It means everything and nothing can be included. It lets you follow your interests and be loose. That music you just heard was from Last Call and was composed by Joris Kallerertz. The show is still running at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival until the end of August at Summer Hall at 10.40pm every night. Discord is hosted and produced by me, Adam Lenson. Our co-producer is Emma Clauber. Special thanks this week goes to Mary Wang. Editorial assistance 
is from Daisy Chute, Michael Conley, Jonathan Lenson, Sarah Middleton, and Oliver Soans. Our theme music is by Luke Bateman. <laughs>